0: you're listening to 10 points a podcast with your hosts ash and nicholas where all the talk is canadian highlander our favorite format from the best trading card game ever magic the gathering hi guys it's me ash and me nicholas and today we're gonna do a deep dive into my favorite deck blue eye control
1: but first we want to bring you our best card from the set legends ash what's your best card
0: so there are a few options for this set, but I went with what I—I I think it's just the card that I've cast from this set more than anything else, which is going to be Sylvan Library. My guess is this is a pretty would be a pretty standard pick from this set because there's not too much in this set that I actually sees play, but uh, Library has got to be the most ubiquitous.
1: I considered Library. I was I was torn between three cards. Um, I ultimately landed on Krakus. It's just a free roll in, I mean, first of all, in any white deck, but like most two-color decks, there's just so many, like, legendary creatures that your opponents play and that you play that bouncing to your hand is just really good. Like, being able to bounce your own Venser or whatever, or just, like, keep one of their legendary creatures from ever mattering.
0: Yeah, um, Seth actually Torak karakas to me.
1: Yeah, that'll do it. It was bad. <laughs> all right, do we want to go ahead and get into our deep dive
0: yeah let's let's do that so the first thing i really want to talk about when it comes to blue eye control um we're going to be talking all about the deck but the first thing i want to talk about is how this deck is it plays a lot different than a lot of other decks in the highlander and maybe magic as a whole because this deck uh its game plan is going to be super different matchup to matchup yeah. Where a lot of other decks are a lot more linear, this one is going to be really dependent on what you're playing against.
1: Yeah, this you cannot play this deck the same way against every deck because you'll just lose. Um, it You have to keep hands and make plays based on the knowledge you have of your opponent's deck.
0: So uh, I guess the good way to kind of explain that is... The basic example is how you would play it against a control deck versus how you would play it against, say, the deck we talked about a couple episodes ago, uh, Red Green Bond. Like if Nicholas is on control, you know, we'd be spending a lot of time staring at each other waiting for someone to flinch, right? But if I'm playing against Chad on his deck, Chad's going to be playing a very proactive game plan trying to kill me and I'm going to have to play the best way to actually deal with those threats.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like more grindy matchups are uh more about maintaining card advantage and um, just answering your opponent's threat while creating your own. The like more aggro matchups um are definitely much more about very quickly trying to find a way to stabilize, uh because control decks do suffer in like the earlier turns of the game. So you definitely have to find a hand that you can Remove some of their early threats and then be able to kind of stabilize later uh, to ultimately win.
0: So I also want to talk a little bit about how blue eye control is different than other control
1: decks. Yeah, I definitely think it's important to talk about why play blue eye um, other over de- like other control decks. And I think that's one thing about uh, control is that the like build of the deck is definitely very dependent on, like, your meta. So blue white is really good at beating certain metas, while other variants might be better at beating others.
0: Yeah, and actually a prime example of that that's really relevant right now is that uh, blue white Control is really, really good at beating mid-range and, like, aggro decks. Like, that's where it shines. Um, It's actually, honestly, pretty good at beating other control decks.
1: Yeah, blue White uh, really preys on the fair decks, I think. I think where it struggles a little bit more is, like, various combo decks, especially, like, storm-type decks, um, because your only real interaction with uh, things besides creatures um, is, like, counterspells, and you're not super great at dealing with, like, non-creature permanents, so things like artifacts in, like, Paradox decks are very strong, and then also Storm, you just can't really interact with their hand, so they can just set up a hand where they can silence you. So I think that's where, like, maybe, like, a demir control, or even, uh, like, a Grixis control, or Esper, or something like that, playing black for some hand attack, um, or maybe some red for some artifact removal, um, depending on the meta.
0: Yeah, I was actually just at dinner with one of my D&D players, and I was explaining to him how... The, exactly that, how a Demir or maybe probably Grixis would be the best against this kind of deck, primarily because Grixis usually has more threats than most control decks, so it can actually present a threat faster and will interact with the hand a lot.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and Grixis, you get the uh, flexibility of being able to throw your burn spells at their face if, if need be.
0: Yeah, and I will say um, the other thing that makes blue-white control different from another type of control deck, though this is really obvious... Is the way that control is different, or blue eye control is different than, like prison style control decks? Is those decks aren't usually playing counter spells or even necessarily blue, where blue eye control very obviously is.
1: Yeah, blue eye control is definitely like a lot different than those decks. It's like in like the cards that you play, you want to play like a lot of ways to churn through your deck uh, and find your answers. So a lot of that comes in the form of various cantrips. Like, you play, obviously, Brainstorm, Ponder, Preordain, but sometimes you even, like, are on, uh, like, peak and stuff like that, Uh, because you don't have that hand attack, the extra information is very strong.
0: I guess uh, we should also say, even though it might be implied, we've got a deck list, Uh, we've actually got, hopefully, by the time this comes out, we will have gotten two deck lists. For this uh, this this description here, one is my current build, very very slightly different than my current build. Um, I changed it very slightly, and the other is going to be a build with a different point spread, which we'll talk about a little bit later.
1: Yeah, like as we've talked about in some previous episodes, Ash is a huge fan of Blue Eye Control. He uh, plays a lot of it, so uh, the list we'll be using are his because he has. Uh, Quite a few more reps on the deck than I do.
0: Indeed. <laughs> um, anyways, as uh, Nick was alluding to there for a minute, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the different card types you play in this deck. They kind of fall into a couple big categories. So Some of the most obvious ones are going to be counter spells or counter magic, whatever you want to call it. Cantrips, which are going to be the kind of spells that are going to draw you one card. Sometimes they will be able to filter cards like ponder, preordain, um, Serum Visions and other times they just do something else and draw a card like Thought, Scour, Mental Note, or Peak. But those are the kinds that are only going to be drawing one card. They're going to give you some sort of benefit while helping you sift through your deck for what you're actually looking for. Um, the other type of card advantage card is going to be just card engines or cards that are going to draw you two cards. Uh, such as like m- most of the Planeswalkers in this deck fall under the card advantage category. Like Narset, parter of Reveils, Teferi, Time Raveler. Those are all going to be doing, they're going to be drawing you cards and doing other stuff or just drawing you two cards, obviously, like, Jace the Mind Sculptor is really good at that. But we've also got, like, Chemistry's Insight, or Memory Deluge, Mystic Confluence, things that are going to just straight up draw multiple cards.
1: Yeah. And then even another form of card advantage um, are just things like Wraths, or um, other types of, like, two-for-ones, that just give you card advantage by really just depleting more of your opponent's resources than you spent to... Uh,
0: get rid of them mm-hmm. the other uh couple other types of cards that we have are going to be one for one removal which kind of counter sort of fall into the same category you, you're just kind of removing spells rather than removing creatures um but you've got your 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 bread and butter your swords to plowshares path to exile condemn is very good uh but you've also got some other Uh, slightly more obscure ones Uh, faithful absence isn't really obscure it's just new but faithful absence councils judgment and a recent inclusion which is not on this current list is prismatic ending and some fetchable lands of off colors to make that work a little better uh as well as detention sphere that stuff is going to be removing not just creatures but um one of your biggest issues as blue eye control is dealing with planeswalkers so those are all ways to remove those as well
1: yeah, and as we were talking about earlier, uh, yeah, Bloight Control has tons of ways to deal with creatures, but things like problematic artifacts or enchantments can prove to be a little more difficult. So things like Council's Judgment and like Prismatic Ending, like he was talking about, are really important to have those answers if you need them.
0: Yeah, and then the last main kind of uh, card type that is really relevant in this deck is win Conditions. Now, m- most, if not all of these win conditions, actually, realistically, all of these win conditions have a an additional uh, effect to them, so they, they actually help keep you in the game before they actually end up winning the game for you. The, uh, the only one that maybe wouldn't fall into that category all that well is God Eternal Kefnet, but he still blocks, and honestly, he's on the chopping block anyway, so don't look at him too closely.
1: I mean, and he gets you card advantage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, with, yeah, with blood control, you really, your goal isn't really to win it's to get to a position where you won't lose and then your cards like will eventually kill them so like even like cards that seem like their main goal is to win the game like elspeth sun's champion uh elspeth is really good at just stabilizing uh by -hmm. making blockers to just block their creatures until you can get to a position where you can wrath the board and then just counter any relevant things and then you just start attacking until they're dead
0: yep I'm um, also Elspeth's really good at just ticking up making blockers and then minusing and killing them all at once Yeah. so yeah that's uh, the basic card types that you're going to see in this deck um, if I missed anything I suppose that it would be humility is a bit of a weird one but it's basically like a card advantage card because you just turn all your opponents creatures into like 2, 3, and 4 mana 1-1s
1: yeah I think of humility as like a wrath that just like Sits there all all game, uh. As someone that frequently plays four color Kiki Pod, humility is just like unbeatable. It's it hurts me every time. Cards fire.
0: Okay, uh. So Nick, you want to talk a little bit about threat assessment? Just uh, give yeah. it a show on it before we go deeper into it later.
1: Yeah, I would say threat assessment is probably the most important uh aspect of playing blue white control. Um, And threat assessment is basically just assessing if something needs to be dealt with now or if you can deal with it later. Um, So like if you have a counterspell in hand and your opponent just plays a creature, um, it sometimes may be right to save that counterspell if you think that you can survive long enough or if you think that they have uh, something better in their hand that needs uh, to be dealt with.
0: Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit more about The Better Testament as we talk about how to play some different matchups, but uh, I guess, Nick, I'll throw this to you. Do you want to talk about some good matchups or some bad matchups or some, like, neutral matchups? Um, I figured we should, like, talk about how to play, like, one of each.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, we can just give an example of each and then kind of how you want to play through it. Starting out with good matchups, we kind of alluded to this earlier. Blue-white control really preys on creature decks. Um, so a good example would be, like Ash said earlier, um, Chad's deck, the red-green bond deck that we talked about earlier. Just because Blight is so good at just dealing with those creatures and then keeping new creatures from coming down, um, it has like plenty of Wraths, uh, one-for-ones, counterspells. So what you are really looking for in those matchups are like ways to deal with the early threats, And then just ways to, like, stay alive after that early game. Because those decks, if they can get out faster than you can deal with them, they can still win. But if you have, like, a swords or something to deal with their, like, turn one, turn two uh, kind of threats, you can usually, by, like, turn three, turn four, get in a pretty good position after maybe a wrath and some some cantrips to dig for more interaction.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, Sometimes, uh, if you're on the draw in those matchups, you can't, or sorry, if you're on the play in those matchups, you can actually, it depends on how quickly they're playing out a threat and what kind of threat it is, but you can sometimes avoid spending your one-for-one removal and just save for a wrath, because they know usually, they know they have to present multiple threats, otherwise they're just putting themselves too far behind.
1: One good thing to do against Blue White Control is try to save back some of your threats so that after they Wrath, you can play more out. So having that one-for-one removal left in hand is really nice for dealing with a threat that they play after you Wrath.
0: Yeah. One very common play pattern on Blue White, and this is actually pretty much agnostic of the matchup, but you're usually going to spend at turns one and two digging for more lands, just assuring you hit your land drops. If you have a hand with like a couple lands, you might not need to do that. But often you are spending the first little bit digging for lands just to set up the your mid and late game because that's your deck is not an early game deck but it is very much a mid and late game deck. So uh, you're usually setting up land drops the first couple turns. So if you can avoid having to take one of those turns off to cast removal, that's great for you. So uh, if you know if you already have a wrath, you already even have you know some of the lands you need. You can just spend like one turn digging for lands and then be able to wrath on forward. That's really what you want to be doing. But uh, oftentimes if they get a really fast start, especially like against medium red or other mana crypt decks or even ring decks, you can you can definitely find yourself looking down the barrel of a rabble master on your uh, when you play your first your first land. Right. Um, And cases like that, you do pretty much have to spend your removal immediately. Otherwise, you're starting you're basically starting at 10 life. And well, that that usually isn't going to (laughs) work.
1: Yeah, I think that is a good, like, uh, an important thing to bring up, too. In blue-white control, even more so than other decks, your life total is really a resource where you're looking at, you're really, like, focusing on the clock that they're presenting and making sure to always be gauging how many turns do you have, how can I hold this removal and wait to wrath, or do I need to deal with this now? Because I have, like, been killed by so many blue-white control players that survive at one life. Um, just because they are able to utilize that one life so well, because one's not zero. And once they stabilize, it's really hard to uh, to force anything through.
0: Yeah, and uh, knowing how the clock is going to progress is actually a super, super important thing when playing blue-white control against aggro decks. For, for the sake of this discussion, regardless of what Chad says, I'm counting his deck as an aggro deck here. Uh, when you're playing blue eye control against an aggro deck, you knowing how fast our clock is currently and how fast it can get is extremely important. So sometimes people kind of look like when they see peak in my list, they look at a weird, like, that's an interesting inclusion, but um since I put it in for the first time, it has never ever come out of my list because it is so imp- that, that information is extremely important. It's not just like the eighth cantrip, the, the information is extremely important in this kind of deck.
1: Yeah, even not just for like figuring out what the clock is, but if you have a counter spell in hand, it is really nice to know what they have in hand because if they play some powerful three drop but you know that they have an even better four drop coming that you have to be able to deal with, it's really nice to know to hold that counter spell, even if usually you would spend it on their three mana play.
0: Yeah, very, very true. Um, also if you have an option on which piece of removal to use, it can be very like, um, like, you know, sometimes I've been looking at my hand and I have a swords to play. Well, let's say I have a path to exile and I have a prismatic ending, which is reasonably common being able to peek at their hand before I remove their creature in play. So I can be like, okay, so I didn't want to give them a land. I wanted to use the prismatic ending, but I just looked in their hand and they have a Planeswalker that I have no other way to remove and I need to remove it. Luckily, I have the Schismatic Ending I can cast for three next turn, so I'm going to use the Path to Exile now. Just knowing how to use what answers you have, because it's pretty short on some types of answers, so uh, knowing what answers you need to save for what they have, not what they could have, but what they do have, is extremely important. Exactly. Okay, Um, kind of the last thing I really want to bring up about this uh, matchup is often... Th- these are the kind of matchups you don't really scoop early. Um, because, uh, you, and by that I mean you pretty much don't see till you are actually dead because oftentimes you're just top decking a terminus away. Yep. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, oftentimes they don't have much else from then what's on the board. So even when you're getting pretty low and you're dead next turn, it, you can very much draw a wrath and turn the whole game around. La- I guess while I lie I have two I guess I have two more things to say about this matchup is you also really want to pay attention to how you're using your land removal lands um, wasteland tectonic edge tectonic edge is not the best one. I just have a really pretty foil so I'm playing it but it's very viable <laughs> uh, anyway wasteland tectonic edge and uh, field of ruin. you really want to be cognizant that you're not just using those to hit random. Like, you know, just trying to jack up their lands, you almost never do that. You're always saving it for man lands or field of the dead, pretty much. There's almost nothing else you use them on in these matchups. And field of the dead is not in the aggro decks, so you're almost always using it on man lands. Um, So that's a little tidbit for you. Okay, uh, do you have anything else to say about that matchup?
1: Uh, No, do you want to go ahead and talk about a more neutral matchup?
0: Yeah, um... I think this one's this one might be obvious to a number of our listeners, but one of the fairest matchups in the entire, like this entire format, uh, and especially our metagame, is uh, blue-white control versus uh, black-green rock. Part of the reason this matchup is so fair is because, or so even is, we're both playing a lot of fair cards, and we're both playing a lot of removal and not as many threats. Um, If I had to say what deck is probably more favored in this matchup, I would probably say The Rock is slightly more favored, but not by much. Um, It really comes down to draws and skill, I think, in this matchup. The biggest thing uh, from the controls perspective, at least in in our metagame, the player who is playing The Rock, uh, specifically against his build, which is a very, very Planeswalker heavy build.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up too. is it definitely really depends on the build of The Rock because Bloit has a lot of ways to interact with creatures, uh, not quite as many to interact with Planeswalkers. So if it's a, if a very hea- Planeswalker-heavy build of the Rock, you just both have a bunch of dead creature removal spells, so you're really hoping to hit your uh, other pieces of interaction or threats.
0: Yeah. The, uh, anyway, what I would say is the number one thing you have to be looking for in this matchup is, if you can get it, a, a sustainable source of card advantage... Um, my current list is not playing Search for Ascanta, but that would be an amazing option in this matchup. But um, if you can keep a Jace Fringe Prodigy in play long enough to flip it, that's great. Uh, if you can land like a Narset Parter of that is very good. If you can land a Teferi Hero of Dominaria, that's even better.
1: Um, Jace the Mind Sculptor.
0: Yeah, that one's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but those are going to be the things you're going to be looking for. Um, you're going to try your absolute hardest to not spend a single piece of removal that could kill a Planeswalker. You do not want to spend it on a creature. If you can avoid it, you can't do that. Because uh, this deck has too many Planeswalkers and almost every single one of them is a must-answer threat. So you need to save your removal for them. Um, that includes your Prismatic Ending for uh, their 3 and 4 drops. Now, uh, my current build is playing A Grand Trium and a Watery Grave. As far as uh, off-color uh, uh, lands. But something notable is the rock deck is almost always going to be playing a Yavimaya. And will be looking to get it in play because they have a lot of stuff that is... They have a lot of things, a lot of utility lands, especially sets build. So you have to be... Uh, so they they, they kind of have to play it to make their deck work. So you can sometimes get your fifth color off of that to take out a five drop or maybe just more easily take out a four drop with Prismatic Ending. But the main other thing you're going to look for is you're going to try, you're probably going to be countering their hand attack because you do have a decent number of dead cards in this, in this matchup, which uh, which is mostly, well, it's not dead as much as it's not nearly as good, which is most of your creatures are not that good because he, he's going to have a lot of removal. Um, but the other thing is a lot of your creature removal isn't quite as good because his creatures aren't as important as his Planeswalkers. So um, he'll leave you with, if they get hand attacked, they're going to take your Planeswalker removal or your draw engines, and that's kind of your way into the game. So really, it's uh, this is a little less cut and dry compared to the aggro matchup. It is a lot more about specifically what's going on in individual games. But broadly speaking, uh, you're going to care about Planeswalkers and Planeswalker removal.
1: Yeah, and definitely, like he said, and really, in any of these grinding matchups, like uh, you like especially against like other control decks, what you're really looking for is a way to just generate more card advantage, because uh, it's going to come down to who runs out of answers first, and then who can get their threat to win the game. So I, in like really grinding metas, really love the card like Corsa Portal, just because it just keeps drawing you cards until you've outvalued them yeah
0: i guess one thing i forgot about also is you typically want to if your opponent's attacking you with some creatures that they're going to do damage but they're likely not going to end the game you and you have removal i will often uh not cast the, if it's instant speed i will often not cast it and i will just hold up a counter spell uh in case they were to play a planeswalker in their second main and then if they don't then i will accept the damage i already took and like swords that creature on their end step but uh I would rather not save myself some damage but then lose to the planeswalker that got to land because I tapped down.
1: Yeah, and that's where that like threat assessment and clock um and keeping track of the clock really comes in. Yeah. Is knowing can I take this hit um to possibly gain more value.
0: I guess some also something that I've seen some uh control players play like a way that I've seen newer control players play in the past is they'll often they have counter spell their opponent casts a spell they counter it don't even read the card broadly speaking control is really all about it's not all about stopping what everything your opponent's doing it's deciding what you care about your opponent doing and how to use what you know like when to counter something versus when to wait to wrath it and all that good stuff okay i think that's about everything oh uh, one more thing for the rock matchup uh, if it's a lands variant of the rock they're going to be playing Field of Dead, and you need to save a piece of land removal for that Field of Dead. Unfortunately, not a lot of exile ways to exile lands in this deck. Actually, I'm not sure I have any, so usually it's hope they don't get a Field of Dead online too early.
1: Yeah. Uh, I got Let's move on to a bad matchup. One very bad matchup, uh, I think we kind of brought this up earlier, is Storm. Um, specifically... Yeah, like dedicated like Underworld Breach Storm decks or something like that. Um, and while it might seem like blue Eye would be favored in this matchup, the uh, the problem is Storm is both very fast, like Storm is very fast, but if you give it enough time, it can just sit there and continue to set up and continue to set up until um, you present a threat, and blue White isn't particularly great at presenting threats. So what Storm can do is just um like keep setting up until it has the win and like a silence or like hand attack or something like that, so that uh blue white can't do anything.
0: Yeah, I would uh I, I I would say that I also was guilty of thinking blue white oh, it must have a good matchup against Storm. And then I kinda of looked at a list and talked to Nicholas about it and then played the matchup and was like, oh, this is unwinnable. There is it is not it is not literally unwinnable, but it is very tough. In order to win, you need a really good hand that consists of a couple things, including counter spells and um, one of pretty much one of two specific threats. Um, in my current build, uh, there are different threat options in other builds, of course, but basically you just have to get a fast threat, which your deck is not very good at. In my list, the three options that will actually end the game fast enough are myth realized if you have enough of a cantrip you draw monastery mentor and Gideon of the trials are also relatively fast ways to win and depending on the storm list gideon might actually keep you alive though the standard breach storm list gideon does not actually work because they can just kill it too
1: yeah usually if breach storm is going off there's not much you can do um and yeah like he said you really you really want those counter spells the problem with the light control is that you have so many wraths and uh like one for one removal spells that just are dead cards in the matchup so you really need you really need a hand that's got a lot of relevant cards for that matchup because just so many cards in your deck are dead.
0: Yep. Very much so. And the thing about blue white control is it actually doesn't play very much filtering. It it plays a very small amount. It's like brainstorm and your other brainstorm like effects and fetch lands. That's that's about it. Yeah. So if you draw those bad cards, you you you're kinda stuck with them.
1: Yeah, there's like some versions where you play I can't even remember the name of the card. The one that shuffles the card back in and then draws you to Yeah, Latin's legacy. You're probably not playing that unless you're on like a, a very specific build. Which we'll we'll get to in a little bit.
0: Well, actually that that's not exactly true. It's not exactly true. It's actually a, a pretty standard well uh it, for me, it was a it was a pretty standard include. Um, I cut it relatively recently as the meta got the, the creature meta got faster. It seemed that the best thing to do was actually to be able to just deal with the threats faster, and it seemed like I just needed more Wraths instead of more Cantrips to find Wraths. So uh, that one was one that bit the bullet for that. But as the meta is actually been slowly shifting to be a little more grindy, that is actually a very very good option. That it, it, it's. It's probably, like, in in the 105 right now, honestly.
1: Yeah, and we'll get to how to build for different metagames later. Yeah, so I'd say the best way to play the Storm matchup is really look for those hands that you can put down a clock. And while, we'll, like, a lot of the time they'll say, don't counter the tutor, counter the tutor, tutor target, that may not go for um, the Storm matchup as much because you really want to keep them from getting um like a silence or something because if you can uh counter like a a good spell at a right time on the turn that they're going off um you can set them really far back but you have to actually be able to counter that spell Mm -hmm.
0: and uh after that um anything else do you want to talk about matchup wise
1: uh no i think i'm good
0: okay so we're going to talk a little bit about point spreads uh first we'll talk about the point spread in my current list and then the uh actually i kind of not it's not written down in our little breakdown here but i want to talk about my current list point spread the alternative to my current list point spread and then alternatives to like non-recall versions because my current version is playing an ancestral recall yeah but uh you can i played this deck for a long time without it
1: Yeah, there are a lot of, uh, a lot of, like, small changes that you can make to this deck's point spread. I mean, not so much on the recall version, you're kind of, uh, locked into, like, two or three different point spreads, but with the, uh, non-recall point spread, you're just playing a lot of, like, one-point and two-pointed cards, so there's a lot of, uh, flexibility in what you do with that.
0: Yeah, and we'll get that in a little more detail in just a minute, but, um... For the points that I'm currently running, it is uh, seven points for Ancestral Recall, two points for Spellseeker, and one point for Dig Through Time. Now, the alternative to this one that's still playing the Recall, uh, at least the alternative that I consider to be viable, is um you basically just swap out Spellseeker for Mystical Tutor. Um, I, some people say to do... Uh, merchant scroll which gets recall of course but i just the fact that it, i can't use a merchant scroll to go grab a removal spell it just makes it not worth it to me
1: yeah so merchant i don't scroll, i don't ever play it yeah it um uh, i'm not a huge fan of it either but there's nothing wrong with playing it um the other thing if you are on the uh mystical tutor point spread um you can uh you're already on terminus but you can add and treat the angels um, and that's a really good way to just kind of win out of nowhere, which is something that the deck doesn't usually do. But mm-hmm. if you're on the Mystical Tutor point spread, Entreat the Angels is probably um, a good option.
0: And I would only suggest Entreat the Angels in a slightly grindier meta game because if you're playing it in an aggro meta, um, drawing it is like drawing a blank piece of cardboard. Because in a grindier meta, if you draw it early, you can usually at least brainstorm it back. But in a more aggro meta, it's often just a blank piece of cardboard, which gets you nowhere. Um, but uh, as for the uh, the the more, I uh, will say the the not power point spread because obviously, a recall is not accessible to everybody. Um, uh, you get to play what we've talked about this probably several times now. I'm not even sure, but we we kind of call it the small blue point spread. Um, where you're just playing a bunch of small pointed blue cards, such as Dig Through Time, Treasure Cruise, Mana Drain, Spellseeker, Merchant Scroll, well, maybe not Merchant Scroll, uh, Mystical Tutor, True Name Nemesis. I have played all of those cards, including Merchant Scroll, in blue-white control at one point or another. Um, and Soul Ring. My, my personal favorite spread when it's not Recall is uh, I play Soul Ring, Spellseeker, Merchant Scroll, Dig Through Time, and Treasure Cruise soaring just kind of jets you into the planeswalkers and rats but uh
1: i think that was nine points i think you also throw a true name in there
0: i would do drain over true name you would
1: i feel like i would hold on
0: so four points two points two points one point one point no that's that's ten wait where's Ring's four mystical tutors two merchant or sorry uh mystical tutors too oh wait never mind sorry you're right yeah
1: um yeah
0: so you can also get a uh I would do probably would do a um mana drain but true name is a completely viable option you're not attacking with it most of the time though
1: yeah uh they say true name is the best wall yeah um wall of omens pretty fire though yeah wall of omens is very good um uh, one thing, uh, kind of going back to the recall point spread, but also the, uh, the other alternate point spreads, one important thing to consider with Spellseeker that just made it a lot better than it was previously um, is the printing of Dam, where Spellseeker can now go get a Wrath. Um, you're actually just playing Dam as a Wrath of God. You're not ever casting it as a single target removal spell, but you can uh, tutor it with Spellseeker, which is huge in that deck.
0: Um, two little points of order on that. Uh first, you would play damn even without spellseeker because you want four mana wraths, and that's just Wrath of God is one of the best ones, and damn is Wrath of God too. And uh also, um you if it, it, it i haven't had it come up, but it very, very reasonably can, because Erborg is a very common card. Uh you can just cast it through an Urborg
1: if you yeah, single I mean, target something. You're definitely not including it in your deck for that reason though. No, um, not
0: at all. But it, but it is relevant. Yeah,
1: yeah it is very good uh, in that deck.
0: And additionally, another thing that made uh, Spell Seeker even better as a point option, and probably that in alignment with Dam is probably the reason I'm playing it right now, is that uh, it can now get not one, but two different ways to remove Planeswalkers. It could get uh, Prismatic Ending if that will remove the Planeswalker in question, assuming it depends how you've been fetching. And it gets Fateful Absence, which also can, of course, remove the Planeswalker. So those are two very pertinent reasons to be playing Spellseeker as well.
1: Yep. Another point spread option um, that we didn't mention is Balance. Um, balance is a little bit more of a build around. Um, yeah include but uh in certain lists it can be very strong
0: yeah i um i used to be really high on and it was a great option to get is the wrath you can give a spell seeker now there's a better wrath to give a spell seeker and you don't have to discard half your hand and leave them with a the creature still um so i've put in pretty far off uh, balance for a little while now but it is if you build around it a little bit it, it can be very powerful um i i've i've I would not suggest it, but I have played an Armageddon version of Blue White.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um it's Yeah, it's, it's definitely not, not quite the I don't I wouldn't say it's the optimal list, but it's like it can still be really strong. Um, especially in the right metas. Um another points option is Library of Alexandria. Um. Yeah. That is obviously a very strong card, and Blue White is really good at maintaining those seven cards so uh library of alexandria can utilize i mean Blue like can utilize Lab- library of alexandria very well
0: yeah especially in the early
1: uh early early if you get it early game
0: yeah okay um so uh, i want to talk briefly about how to build your deck like how you're going to change the deck for different metagames so uh Nick, do you wanna talk a bit about the changes you would make to the deck in a very we talked about this a bit already, but if you how you would change the deck for a very like very green, mid rangey kind of kind of metagame?
1: Yeah, so I mean really it like comes down to numbers. Um like you're maybe playing one or two more wraths or one or two less wraths than normal. Uh, maybe you go down, uh, like if you're in like a really creature heavy kind of green meta, maybe you go down a few counter spells, um, for some more removal spells, um, and kind of, um, like make your threats, like things like Elspeth Sun's Champion are really strong in those metas, um, like Wall of Omens is one that, um, in like creature metas is very strong, but in, uh, more grindy metas isn't, uh, always the best.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, the other main thing you would change in more grindy metas is uh, I would probably actually include Oblivion Ring just as another option to kill Planeswalkers. Um, understanding with Oblivion Ring and Detention Sphere, they can remove those and get their permanent back. But uh, you could always do the good old, if you make it to seven mana, you could Oblivion Ring and bounce it with a trigger on the stack. Always a good one.
1: Yeah.
0: Um,. But uh, also, in more grindy metas, uh, there are a couple other Planeswalkers you could uh, slot in to kind of keep up with all the other people playing so many Planeswalkers. Um, you could play the four mana Teferi Master of Time. It's not amazing, but in that kind of metagame, it can go a long way. Um, Another good option is... I, 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 I've only played with it a little bit. I know you like this card a lot. It's the the five mana Jace from Shadows of Ernestrad.
1: Yeah, I don't know how high i am on that card anymore when i uh first got into highlander that was an auto include in all of my uh control decks um but we had a very uh grindy control heavy meta so i think it's strong in those metas and that's another thing um in grindy metas you want a lot of those uh repeatable card advantage sources um yeah so yeah that jace is really good course of is really good um even just uh like some of the uh bigger, more expensive instant speed draw spells that you wouldn't play normally, you can afford to play yeah. in those grindy metas. Um so if you are holding up something on their turn and they don't end up uh playing anything, you can in step cast your uh I'm trying to think, what's the five mana draw three?
0: Mr. confluence oh or like Inspire, or uh jace's intuition yeah
1: jace yeah jace's intuition is something you're definitely not playing in um just like in a blind meta but if you know that you're going up against a lot of uh grindy decks a lot of blue decks um mm-hmm. i think it's definitely a viable option
0: yeah two other car things or two other things i would say maybe three i guess if it's a really gr- a blue grindy meta game um considering dispel as an option and generally in more grindy metas i will go back to playing coercive portal my current list is not it's a very slow thing yeah also search for as kanta would be an include, uh very very com- comfortably and uh coercive portal and i'd probably uh, actually cut creatures even the ones that are like you know you could consider them as like the utility creatures like i would very possibly be cutting um well, I would likely cut God Eternal Kefnet and I'd probably consider cutting the, the Jay's French Prodigy because in those kind of metagames it often gets removed immediately.
1: Yeah, in those metagames I really like to shift my threats into more planeswalkers. Um yeah. and really cut down low on the creatures. Um, like in, in your current list, I see like Timeless Dragon is still a good option. Um, just because it's like recurrable but also uh the plane cycling adds that extra flexibility if you are in one of those grindy matchups because while you may be in a grindy meta that doesn't mean every matchup will be up against one of those grindy decks, so you do still need uh ways to beat the not blue grindy decks, which I think is an important thing to talk about when you're uh talking about how to build for different meta games is don't um don't get over over trigger happy with uh building for a very specific part of the meta and then you play against the uh, the few people that are not on uh, what you were expecting and you just get completely destroyed because you were so focused on building for a specific type of deck.
0: Yeah. Um, I do want to make a quick note about Timeless Dragon, which goes from the last thing I was going to say about building for a grindy meta, is even in the current meta, um, I think I've gone one game that involve a timeless dragon that I did not plain cycle it. Um, you cycle it almost every time. Uh, and that goes into what I was saying earlier about how you spend the early turn setting up land drops. And uh, this, you, you, this is a thing that you spend early to get guarantee your land drops and then later bring back as a blocker or a threat. Um, you're almost never Getting two creatures out of it, you're almost always getting the land and a creature out of it, and that's how you want to think about it in this deck. Um, and that brings me to the other thing I was going to say, which is in the more grindy metas, I would also consider going up one, maybe even two lands, because uh, in those game, like in, in, the, in the in the more aggro games, you can get away with missing a land drop or two. Like if you're missing land drop number five or seven, like whatever. But in these much more grindy games, you, that can really be the difference uh, between a win and a loss
1: really you just want to be staying uh, ahead of your opponent in resources in those grindy matchups uh, or in those grindy metas in the more like agro aggressive metas um, you don't need to be staying behind staying ahead as much as keeping them from getting too far ahead until you can get into the later portion of the game mm-hmm. uh, but yeah in those grindy metas you definitely want to be trying to stay ahead
0: Yeah, um, so for, I kind of already forgot, did we talk about how to build for an aggro meta already? Uh, not really. Okay, we definitely talked a lot about the aggro matchups, and honestly, this current list is built for the aggro matchup. Um, my current list actually has one more Wrath in it, it's, uh, I don't remember what it's called. It's the one that, it's from the cons block that destroys creatures and everything attached to them.
1: Editor's note, the card name was End Hostilities.
0: But... You basically, you play very much of like this ability. You play a lot of wraths. You play a lot of creatures that can do a thing and also block or trade. Um, And you play every piece of spot removal that's that's viable, yeah. basically. Again, this list should have a prismatic ending
1: in it. Yeah. If you're in, like, a really aggressive meta with, like, a lot of red, you can maybe play some life gain. Uh, I've seen some blue-white lists that are playing, like, um, Archangel of Thune um, and even some that are on kitchen Finks. Um, but that's yeah, kitchen really, Finks is great yeah that's really only for like the really aggressive like red metas mm-hmm.
0: um additionally in the creature metas humility is a great option that's why i'm on it now um but if it's a very red creature meta I would highly suggest cutting some of your land your non-basic lands and playing more basics and making a more conscious effort to play toward basic lands because often they're going to be playing Blood Moons and uh, Prize of Progresses.
1: Yeah, and Blight Control is really good at um, surviving off of those basics. While it's definitely nice to have the non-basics, you definitely don't need them all, and you can definitely uh, shift into a more basic-heavy list. Um, Sometimes, some builds will even uh, go really far into the basics and play back-to-basics, depending on the meta. If You have a lot of uh, agree. Mana bases in your meta, you can get them with back to basics. Very true.
0: Okay, and then um, we kind of already talked about uh, the control meta. What I want to talk slightly more about, about is the combo meta. And really, the only the only thing that really changes about that is you're not you're not really going to build control to be storm very well unless you're adding more threats. But uh, if you were to attempt to do so, your best bet is going to be playing really really cheap counter spells. Which is often going to be like spell pierces. Um, probably not Flusterstorm. i I'm really not very high on that card, but some people like it. If you're in a lot of storm style combo decks, then it might be correct. But I've never lived in a com or in a metagame like that. But you'll want to play like spell pierces, probably dispels, and mental missteps. That kind of stuff. They're really really cheap counter spells.
1: Yeah, you can even be playing um, things like Vendillion Cleek and Aven Mind Sensor um those are both mm-hmm. really good um even uh nimble obstructionist uh having the flexibility a i mean first of all it's a good threat and like i said you really want to be able to like, get a clock down against those combo decks but also that stifle can be really relevant uh, against pretty much any combo deck yeah
0: um any combo decks you're if you're in a comedy you will be playing like playing old regular stifle um and there's also it's also a pretty good idea to include cards like shadow of doubt uh, i think you you already said even mind sensor right yes yeah just to just to interrupt their ability to search the library as tutoring is how most combo decks function and uh two of those of course also are helping provide threats so you're playing more threats the other big thing i guess would be to uh Depending on the combo deck, if getting of the Trials keeps you alive, you might mulligan to it. But for blue-white control specifically, combo is the hardest to build for. But luckily, it's rare that a combo is the meta in Highlander.
1: Yeah, we did have like a big Thassa's Oracle meta um, last year. That's true. Uh, and that's the kind of meta where blue-white control might not be the best. Um, and that's even... Uh, I know we're talking about below control, but that might even be the time where you maybe consider uh shifting into some Esper or uh even just cutting the white and going into like Demir or Grixis or something. Yeah. Uh and that's the good thing about just control decks in general, is you can build them a lot of different ways to where it plays very similarly, but it can beat uh different decks.
0: Yeah, I will say Fast Oracle is also an in- awkward example because Thassa's Oracle was dominant against everything. Like it was either yeah. you were playing Thassa's Oracle or you were losing to Thassa's Oracle and sometimes you were doing both.
1: Yeah, no. Uh Thassa's Oracle was one of my least favorite cards when it first came out.
0: Yeah. The last thing about uh non-creature combo decks is you'll play less removal over less creature removal overall because those are almost always completely dead.
1: Yeah, uh you definitely want your removal to be more flexible. In those other metas or non-creature combo heavy metas
0: okay so um we're almost out of time here but we got two more things to do we're going to talk about we have we, we did receive two questions from from the discord so let me let me get that for you for us yeah uh this is a question from cjo man i think you know who that is It's two questions the first one is what is blue eye control's weakness and then the second is what are some niche cards you don't see played enough in the deck Uh, so we talked a little bit about the deck's weaknesses already. The biggest are decks that, uh, get a lot of value by not being pressured. Um, primarily storm was the big one, but there are, uh, some other combo decks and other control decks that, um, yeah, uh, have more threats that can be a little bit of a problem if you don't provide a threat. But, um, the other thing that blue eye actually struggles with is if you get off to a really, really fast start, like medium red is known to do, sometimes red green bond is known to do. It is it can be uh really tough to turn the corner as it were and actually stabilize from that. Uh, especially against fast red decks.
1: Yeah, RDW is probably one of the Blue White's worst matchups, just because um it just like is try it's just trying to go so fast.
0: It's kinda of funny that even though RDW probably is one of Blue White's worst matchups, uh, medium red is actually a better matchup um, mainly because though they do often go fast, they don't necessarily always go fast enough uh, to dodge like the swords and paths type cards, and then they have less they, they have less actual threats sometimes, so then I can beat that.
1: The important distinction between those two decks is one of them is more about threat quality quickly and then the other one is about threat quantity quickly. Um, so while with medium red, yeah. if you can deal with their fast threats they'll run out of like those quality threats pretty quickly because a lot of their uh cards are being spent trying to get those quality creatures out uh or quality threats out fast where with rdw just every single card in their deck is trying to kill you so you have to be able to answer everything
0: yeah okay yeah um so i would say anything that gets benefits from
1: uh being
0: unpressured is a pretty big problem for your deck um and then uh really anything that's not playing a lot of creatures in the current metagame is going to be a problem because i'm going to draw a lot of dead cards yeah um now uh as for niche cards i'm sorry did, did you want to answer that question or anything else you have to say about that
1: not about the first question no
0: okay as for niche cards that i don't see played uh all that much um just to name a few, I think Timeless Dragon is insanely good in this deck, um, and I don't see it in lists all the time. Uh, people don't people just don't think about Damn, even though it's just Wrath of God. Yeah. Um, the downside is I did once get my Damn spell uh, spell snared. It really sucked. Um, and then uh, there were a couple other ones. Peak we already talked about. A lot of people don't play it. They don't understand why it's there, uh, but it's extremely good. And. Uh, Probably the biggest one that people don't play that I started playing was myth realized. Um, Yeah. This is basically your lowest investment win condition in your entire deck. It is extremely good. Um, It's pretty tough to remove a lot of the time. Um, It's got a little easier with the, the presence of prismatic ending, but still broadly speaking against a lot of decks, if you just don't activate it till it gets out of bolt range, they can't kill it for the rest of the game. And, um, The biggest deal about Myth Realized is in this metagame, the deck is a lot of the time playing to Humility. And Myth Realized, uh, it actually works through Humility, how layers work. So so does uh, Gideon, that also works through Humility. So does Celestial Colonnade, that works through Humility.
1: It is relevant that that also works for your opponent as well. So if they have uh, man lands or something like that, you have to be careful.
0: That is true. Um, Smuggler's Copter as well yeah uh, but uh Realize is probably the biggest one um
1: i don't yeah a few more there's uh undo inversion which is um not great in every meta but in some more uh like planeswalker heavy or grindier metas um that's one that doesn't immediately pop into the pop to your mind but that's really good
0: mm-hmm. and th- this one percent of the not probably 95% of the time I'm playing in as a land but uh, like When you need that uh, Planet of Cleansing, you need that Planet of Cleansing.
1: And then, like, a really niche card that uh, definitely doesn't go in every list, but um, in certain lists, Enlightened Tutor uh, can actually be worth playing. Yeah. Um, if you're on, like, Detention Sphere, Humility, um, and, like, Back to Basics, it's uh, just like a good kind of niche card that can, uh, it's pretty flexible.
0: Um, when we had a meta game that was actually extremely red, I actually played both Enlightened Tutor and Story Circle. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know what Story Circle is, it's an enchantment ETB name and color, and uh, you can activate. You, you can pay a white to prevent damage from the target uh, target permanent that has that color for this turn, and it's a uh, it's it was
1: good. It was it, it was all right. All right. Did you say we got another question?
0: Uh, th- those were the two questions.
1: Oh okay. So uh we're really running
0: out of time, so let's talk quickly about what we played this week in our records. Do you wanna go first?
1: Yeah. Um I was actually on Storm. Um I went two and one. Uh my first matchup all right, well, I got it. Okay, so actually so I defied odds this week. Uh there were three decks in our um in our like tournament that I did not want to play against. I played against all three of them. Uh the first one was uh Blue Moon, which is one of those control decks that is first of all really good at putting down pressure, but also pretty good at disrupting your opponent. And I was uh I managed to win that matchup. And then I played against Death and Taxes, which uh as you can guess, is a really bad matchup for Storm, and I managed to win that one. And then I went up against Ash. Uh, on sp- I'm going to spoil what he was on. He was on medium red, and I uh, lost game one quite rapidly and then could have won game two, but I had been up since 4 a.m. that morning due to work, and I like completely misplayed uh, and should have had one more red mana than I did. Um, and so I managed to lose game two as well. Uh but I was pretty happy with going two and one considering that those were the three decks that I did not want to play against.
0: Yes, uh you 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 ended the night at the top table, so. Um I don't recall what I played on Tuesday. I think it was probably Blue Eye Control, but I'm not entirely sure. Um on Thursday I played medium red. Uh and I I, I don't own a ragavan. I, I may have borrowed a ragavan. Um, and then I drew that Ragavan several times and did not lose the game in which I had a Ragavan. Uh, <laughs>
1: yeah, that Ragavan is what killed me both games that I played against him.
0: Ragavan carried me so hard. Um, Ragavan's broken, you guys. Rag- r- honestly, Ragavan to six. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, I won round one. I was playing against four color lands and, uh, I just drew honestly two of the fastest hands I've ever seen. On turn one, one game, I had, uh, I had a land, a mana crypt, a Lalia and a Ragavan in play and a Chrome Mox on turn one. And then that was game two, actually. But, uh, the first game was over very, very quickly as well with similar cards, actually both Lalia and a Ragavan again. Um, but, uh, some other stuff too, but it was just a very, very, very fast game or match one. Uh, match two, I went up against, (sighs) who did I go up against match two? I think it was, oh, it was, I was up against Seth actually on green, black rock. Um, game one was pretty quick. No, actually, no. Game one was actually a little bit slow. Um, ended up getting there because I got off to a really fast start. Game two, uh, I mulliganed to five, put up a pretty good fight, ended up losing, and then game three was over in a, in a heartbeat. Uh, I got there really fast, uh, as the deck tends to do. But then game, uh, match three, Nicholas already described, I won game one pretty quick. And then, uh, pretty quick with an Eidolon, I think was the main thing. And then game two, um, he misplayed, and he didn't. Uh, I, my clock didn't allow for one more turn on him.
1: Yeah, I had also just spent so many resources. Um, basically, what happened... Uh, was I had a dark ritual, a, uh, what's the red one mana ritual that makes two red? Rite of Flame? Yeah, I had a dark ritual, a Rite of Flame, and a, um... Man, my brain's not working. The two mana one, two mana black ritual that has a uh, spell mastery or whatever.
0: Cabal ritual?
1: Yeah, so I had those.
0: That's uh,
1: threshold. Yeah, Threshold. Um... And I sequenced wrong, so that I cast the uh, the red ritual first, and then had to use the mana off of that. Well, I I yeah I misplayed. I should I could have had two red mana left over to uh, use uh, gamble off of my Underworld Breach, but I was short one red mana. Um, and so I tried very hard, but I couldn't quite, uh, get a line to victory without that gamble.
0: All right. Well, uh, anything else you want to say?
1: No, I'm good.
0: All right. Well, that'll, uh, wrap up our deep dive on blue eye control. If anyone has any questions, please feel free to, I don't know. Do we, do we drop our Twitters in here? You can tweet me, I guess or just ask me on discord if you're if you if you if you know me there.
1: I'm not on twitter but feel free to tweet ash and i will <laughs> I will hear about it. I'll pass the message along.
0: Yeah. Uh well, I hope everyone has a great day. Let us know what other decks you guys would like to see deep dives on and uh we'll uh we'll see you next time. Aren't you going to say bye? Bye. <laughs> bye
1: thanks for listening to this episode of the 10 points podcast and don't forget to count your points